Ow. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you throw the thing at him? I just wanted him to catch it. What? No. Help him. He wanted to get it back to him. His body caught it, not his hands. Quickly. Well, that's what they teach you to do. You gotta if you can't get it in the glove, you gotta take it to the basket. Lock it up. I mean your hands are part of your body. Swing level. Sure. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Dane Holland. I'm Austin Shazam Pfeiffer. I'm Marcus. I'm Electric Man. <laughs> I'm Austin Tiny Zen. And this is Nerded Through the Grapevine, the podcast where four best friends gather weekly to talk about our favorite parts of past, present, and future nerd culture. And if you've been on the internet any time within the past probably, I don't know, two months, three months, you've seen a lot of hate from miscellaneous sources for a movie that does not deserve that hate. I'm a uh, Mobius. I'm a cat. Clearly, you're talking about Mobius. I got it. It's one thing to have a lump of lug in your throat, but it's another thing for it to completely change your speech. I'm going to talk about Thor Love and Thunder. Yay! Thor Love and Thunder came out this year. It was a Taika Watiti film. It was my favorite Thor movie. Uh, the thing that a lot of people are complaining about with it is its lack of seriousness and mind you i get it i want to see some substance to a movie i want to see some in-depth storytelling that's great but thor love and thunder still provides that while making you laugh yeah and for people that are taking the atmosphere of the giggles and the jokes and everything and turning it around as into like, you don't belong here. You're not you're not a good enough Marvel movie because I I would like to beg to differ. There's a love story involved in it, and it's not the one you think uh, it's you would think, oh, you know, you've seen the posters. Natalie Portman's coming back. She's somehow going to turn into this other superhero known as the Mighty Thor. And. Oh, by the way, this is a spoiler-free review, so I'm going to go through it without spoiling anything as much as I can. Just mm-hmm. I'm going to give you what you've probably seen just in pictures. Uh-huh. But there is a love story, and the love story isn't exactly between Natalie Portman's character and Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth's character. It's not between, between Thor and his hammer. It's between <laughs> Thor and Stormbreaker. Yes. <laughs> his axe. <laughs> oh, gosh. Stormbreaker is one of my favorite parts of this movie. They personified the jealous girlfriend with the way that they had Stormbreaker, and they personified the great white buffalo, the ex that shouldn't have been the ex with Mjolnir. And there are several scenes throughout this that <laughs> that play really heavy into the relationship that Thor shares emotionally with his weaponry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't really think about this. You think about them more as tools, more as, you know, like these things that you would just use. But he has these emotional connections with these, you know, these weapons because Mjolnir was with him for hundreds, if not thousands of years, just the the weapon that embodied the vision that everybody had of Thor. And once that weapon is gone, Stormbreaker took over, which Stormbreaker to me is a is a very cool weapon. That's awesome. I mean, it's a giant hammer axe. How is that not awesome? Yes, I love Mjolnir, but I, I mean, the giant hammer axe kind of takes the cake for me as far as being a cooler looking weapon. But something happens in the movie and all of a sudden Mjolnir comes back into the picture. So Thor is trying his best to see if there is still a relationship with Mjolnir available since, oh, you're, you're back. And he, at one point, he's, he's, there's this scene where Mjolnir's kind of sitting across, you know, kind of sitting down. And yeah, as Mjolnir does, you know, because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a hammer, you know, it sits until someone who's worthy can pick it up. But 
Thor's got his hand out and he's kind of like wiggling his fingers, his palms facing kind of straight up and out. And he's trying his best to kind of like incite the hammer to come over towards him. And he's like, come on, just one more time. Come to daddy. Come to daddy. (laughs) Come to daddy. And then out of his peripheral, it's the way that the scene is shot. You literally see Thor looking straight ahead trying to motion for the hammer and through and in his peripheral you see stormbreaker just <laughs> levitating through the room coming to thor's hand <laughs> stormbreaker and oh i forgot you you know you're here yes you of course i'm talking about you like that's my man, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, th- I think if there is a relationship that is of that kind of nature, it's probably what the uh, probably what that weapon feels about Thor. So I mean, I I thoroughly enjoyed the movie though. Christian Bale plays uh, Gore, the God Butcher. Uh, comic book design was not the same as movie design, but if you base it off of just what you've seen in a picture you're really not giving that role justice. That's probably one of the best thought out, best explained, I guess, villains I've seen mm-hmm. on a movie. Just because they give you depth to the character without having his story so convoluted by extra things and stuff that you get the reason why he is the way that he is. It was, you know, circumstantial how he became as powerful as he is, but those circumstances arose the exact times they needed to for him to become the way he was and for him to become the God butcher. So, I mean, and also there were a lot of little Easter eggs that I didn't pay much attention to in it uh, that I read up on, you know, just trying to think about the movie a little bit. And it's like, well, I wonder if there's anything I missed because I've only seen it one time. It is available on Disney plus if anybody's got Disney plus so you can watch it on there. But uh, one of the main actors from one of Taika's other works, what we did in the shadows or what we do in the shadows Mm-hmm. Um, he actually did the original movie that the like the television show is based off of. So okay, so the one of the actors that's in the television show was one of the actors that played a god in the movie, and he was one of the gods with speaking roles. He was one of the he was the original god you see uh, during the betrayal scene with the giant golden thing on oh, his head. Yeah, yeah. okay. And they've got so many things in there. I mean, I love it when they travel to the to the specific place they go to. Where you'll you'll see a bunch of gods. So, but uh, Zeus's character, <laughs> Tiny was trying to get a spoiler fart in there because she promised not to spoil the movie. But yet you've already spoiled the best joke, and now you're spoiling the whole story. Well, if I'm a bit Johnny come lately, but it was there. That was a joke it wasn't the joke it's it it develops you know more and more in depth in different spots you know in different circumstances but that was just the one to me that just tickled me the the funniest just because it it hits you with that that you know current girlfriend scene you look at your ex-girlfriend kind of vibe and it's just like why is this here it's uh it also tiny Hmm? i will tell you this right now have you seen the other thor movies i saw the first one guess what you don't gotta watch them if you want to watch this movie. Uh, I'm just saying. I'll take that back. <laughs> I've seen the first one and most of the second one. Well, that's good that you've seen the first one, but the the this one you don't have to watch them all. They do a good job of putting of going back and showing you little snippets of things that have happened before to give you context as to why this is kind of meaningful and happening right now, different parts of the movie. Mm -hmm. So you'd be able to watch that and kind of get like, Oh, for you, it wouldn't look like movie scenes. It would look like, you know, kind of like looking at his memories. So you, you probably be able to enjoy this movie as a standalone, as opposed to having the entirety, you know, tied into it. Um, but I don't know. Uh, the the Russell Crowe plays a funny character. Uh, he plays Zeus, which you wouldn't think Zeus is a funny character, but you'll like it. I hope. Good lord, uh, see. I did. I aha. That's a that's a funny yeah. little joke you yeah, got I there. I had heard many people complaining long before I had even watched it because at the point of it coming out in theaters, we had talked in the past about burnout. You know, of superhero burnout, and I definitely had that at that point. So I was like, I'm just going to wait till it releases you know, on Disney Plus. 
And so that was a long time between it being in theaters and it being yep. available for streaming. Uh, yeah, it, it was several months of a gap, but it stayed in theaters, I think, all the way up until like maybe about a couple weeks before that. Or it might still be in theaters. I'm not 100 percent sure that the, the investment on the movie mm-hmm. has already uh, been more than tripled. Oh, really? For it being such an awful movie, yeah. they've already tripled their Dang. money on it. But yeah, there was plenty of time between it coming out and me actually watching it to where all I've heard was negative things. And I still couldn't quite believe it because I really like Taika Waititi. I like his sense of humor. I like how he can mix in things that are very serious, but also in the next scene, lighten it right back up again to where it's not all just a big downer. I don't know. I, I didn't believe the reviews that I was getting, but it also did have an effect on how long it took me to watch it. And... After we watched it, we were like, we just looked at each other like, this is insane. Like, how could someone not like this movie? And yes, honey. I have a question. What? As a layman, mm-hmm. the the gentleman with the impronounceable name, is that the director? Taika Waititi, the name that we have pronounced correctly many, many times. Yes, I cannot okay. pronounce that. Is okay. that the director or is he an actor? Yeah, both. Oh, both. both. Okay. Yeah. No. I, I just didn't understand not only is he the director, he is also the voice of one of the main characters, which is uh, Korg. And, and I really like the way that Korg talks. He's very, very calming. He's the rock man. And he's uh, he's definitely one of the, actually, most of the characters in it are comedic relief. Like, they're, they're able to do that with one another. When there's something serious happening to one character, another can bring the humor. And it not seem out of character, because a lot of people were complaining about how Thor was just a jokester, like just little weirdo kind of the whole time. But they also didn't take in consideration. He's been traveling with the Guardians of the Galaxy, doing all kinds of mess out in the the galaxy with them. Yep. And that crew is wacky and weird and funny. And just he spent all this time with them. And as you've noticed from the old Thor movies, like even the first one, he kind of t- absorbs the the types of personalities he's surrounded by because he started off as this, you know, just drunk, power hungry, you know, basically frat guy, son of a god, you know, a god himself. And then he became more human the more he's around humans. And then the more he was around like people like Captain America and stuff, he got this more sense of justice from him. Mm-hmm. A little bit more heroic right. sense. Yeah, exactly. So and then, he went from Chad to Normalman. Is Chad a good thing? I've seen Chad be a good thing. Where? I've never seen Chad I've be only a good seen- thing. I think it went from a bad thing to like being a, a, a mega Chad being like a, a positive thing. Oh, I've you're- only seen a Chad as, you know... Like, you know, the jerk frat boy thing uh-huh. or your taint. See, I thought it started off as the ju- as the jerk boy and then it turned into the good thing. They The, the Uber Chad yeah. that they've got. That's Giga just, Chad? Yeah, Giga, Giga Chad. Giga, Giga, Giga Chad. Yeah, that was more, that's more of like a like a super super macho looking, like mm, overly yeah. handsome person. Right. So th- the, the Giga Chad and the actual Chad are different just because one is like, oh, that's so funny. That's so cool. And the other one's like, screw you, dude. Wait, does that make us Giga Chads? Because we're all very handsome men. I don't know. No. No? No, no Marcus said no. No. I mean, Someone, if we're going with the, the good The way I interpret it, because it's like a meme, yes. and so you kind of interpret it, is like that they're just so good looking that that makes them doofus. Well, we're all breathtakingly right. handsome. And we're all and we're also doofus. Every yeah. one of us. <laughs> we and are we are doofuses. Oh, are we all Giga Chads? I believe it's doofy. No, man. I don't think Probably. we know like common phrases in memetry. Yeah, we can't keep up with the Marcus t- Marcus teaches school to children and children know yeah. the ways right now. So is that are you the most accurate source for this probably? I probably. Is probably. a group of doofuses a dangle? Are we a dangle of doofuses? <laughs> I think it's a murder. A murder, yeah. A murder. Okay. A murder Anytime I don't know what a group of something is called, I go Probably with a murder, a murder, which is great. A murder of doofs. Yes. So the back to back to <laughs> what were we talking about? Back to Thor. Chad, Chad love and thunder. Chad love and blunders. We we loved it. Yes. And we think that people should at least give it a try and see and see how much they they like it too. Because I don't know. I feel like we could just talk to anybody that disliked it and be like. I don't agree with that point. I mean, you, yeah, of course, if you dislike it, you hate it, and that's fine. Yep. If you but, d- if you don't want to be entertained, and you go into it with a mindset of this has to be a certain way or else, and you're not mm-hmm. open to the idea of being entertained, then you've missed the point. Yeah. Uh, because most likely, these are the same people that are going to be watching a trailer, mm-hmm. that watch that trailer, consume anything they can from the trailer, 
and the trailer's music is different. The mooding would be different. So they're thinking like they're going to go into this, you know, specific style of movie and then they get there and it's not right. Go into it with an open mind. Try your best to enjoy some humor alongside a really good superhero story. And if you absolutely do not enjoy what you've seen and you'd prefer something to be dark and bleak and hopeless and all that stuff, just hop on over to the DCEU. We live in that realm. That's all we get. And you mentioned keeping an open mind. And sometimes whenever you're consuming content, you have such an open mind going on that you can't focus on the content that you're consuming with your eyeballs because your brain is moving around other things while you're watching the one thing or playing a game. And I want to talk about having ADHD and playing video games because you would think that all video games maybe would be great for someone whose brain needs to be stimulated with things changing all the time. But that's not the case with, unfortunately, a lot of AAA games that have these epic storylines with these great characters that have multiple releases. And if you if you have a hard time like staying within this one story of this one, you know, traveling and just fighting things as you go along, your brain starts to wander off, kind of. And then if you take any time away from that game, if you if you're not hyper fixated on it then you don't end up coming back to it a lot of times because that hyperfixation has gone and now you've moved on to something else. I've not played Elden Ring in a month because right. of the, something similar to that. Like it, I, mm-hmm. I'm not, I know that I'm not going to new game plus six it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be one of those guys. I'm not going to get to like level 230 something and be able to single swipe bosses. It's not going to happen. So what's the point in me continuing to, gr- to just slave away at getting better at nothing? Right. What is new game plus? That's when you've beaten the game and you start the game over again. Okay. And you, and you like get like your advantages kinda. from the first playthrough. Like so you kinda start like off super and, and everything's leveled okay. up a little bit. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, it kind of scales with you, but you do start off a whole lot more powerful than you were before. Gotcha. So uh if you do have ADHD, that is attention deficit hyperactive disorder, like if you have that as a part of your brain, which a lot of people actually do have it and they don't realize that they have it. People for a long time have assumed that it's just kids that have it. And if they do have it, it gets better as they get older. Absolutely not the case. In many, many cases, it gets worse because as a kid, you have things around you controlling your environment for you. So there's a lot of stuff you don't have to pay attention to because it's being done for you. You're being driven to school. You're being surrounded by people doing the exact same thing as you are. And your parents are taking care of a lot of things for you. And as you get older, all the stuff is up to you now. So like it, it can get much worse. And in gaming, which is specifically what I want to talk about, I want to know what works for you guys as far as keeping your attention as you play a game. Because for me, it's really things change it like me manipulating parts of the game as opposed to the game sending me through a journey like i need to be the one doing the the manipulation within the game as far as like something like civilization a a game like that which we've talked about in the past which is considered a rts rts thank you and with an rts that's that's you controlling a lot of different things at one time from kind of an above state on the board and it's you're constantly having to do something like if you stand still stuff is going to go on and it's going to mess the game up so you have to constantly be moving around and messing with resources and controlling different units and all kinds of stuff like that so that works really well for me and a game that recently I started playing is called Loop Hero and Epic Games actually gave it away for free uh, I don't know recently maybe I don't keep up with how often they give me free games, but I know every week they do. And it was one that was given away a while back, and I just started playing it. And your character moves on their own around this little loop, around just a, uh, it's a randomly generated loop of tiles. And starting off, it's just a blank tile, basically, like a dungeon tile, and these little slimes pop up. And as your character fights the slimes, it does it on its own. You get either equipment or little cards that you can place on the board to manipulate the terrain. And as you play the game, you get cards that make the terrain more treacherous as far as like villains getting worse and and things like that. So it's harder to beat. But as you beat harder things, you get better equipment. So the game is going on without you doing anything, but you're having to constantly be looking at your equipment because you're constantly getting new equipment. So you're having to see, okay, do I want to upgrade this or do I want to just let it go? 
And which one of these like cards do I want to place as a tile on the map to change the way my loop's going? And once you finish the loop, you kind of go back to your little home base and you can start a whole new loop that's also randomly generated. And the whole thing is different from the time before. So you're constantly manipulating the game as the game is, is happening kind of for you as well. And it's almost this perfect little matchup for my brain to be able to do that because I can sit down and play the game for 10 minutes and know ahead of time that that's all the time I have to put into it to finish this little loop. And whenever I sit down to play Elden Ring, like you mentioned before, I can't really do much in 10 minutes playing that game because the farther along you get into it, the longer it takes for you to be able to level up and gather enough stuff to do that, that it got to a point where things were taking so long that I stopped wanting to do it because even before sitting down at the computer, my brain would go like play it out in my head of what it was going to be like. And that was enough for my mind to go, okay, you basically just played it (laughs) moving on, like go find something else. So I find myself playing things like this loop hero game different every time, a different thing every 10 minutes if I want it to be. And things like rocket league to where you play a game of that and then it's over like and you can start again if you want or uh something like uh uh, this baseball game i've been playing too baseball is another example sports games in general are another example of you play for a specific amount of time and then it ends and if you want to start again you can so my mind isn't being forced to do something for a, a certain amount of time Instead, just kind of I get pop to in reset. Out. Yeah, I get to reset. And that's like the this whole roguelite and roguelike game system of randomly generated stuff as you die and start over again and you're constantly collecting things. That's perfect, I think, for an ADHD kind of brain to play as well. I mean, I know Hades held my attention longer than any game I've played oh, since yeah. Final Fantasy X. So. And uh, Dead Cells as well. Like Dead Cells was another one. Just yeah, but I hooked I, on. I, I dropped it off just because I I stopped being the the style of it mm-hmm. stopped being as visually appealing, and the game's difficulty level settings between your because I beat the game on proper run throughs meeting requirements two times over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on the third one to do that. It's called it's called getting boss cells. I there it's such a difficult jump. From mm-hmm. that to that, that I don't see how in the world they expect me to do anything with it. So right. I've stopped. But Hades, on the other hand, like Hades was awesome because the increased difficulty on that just made me try harder. Mm-hmm. There's so many options on just the exact same level styling that's just altered slightly every time. And every time you turn the game on, it's a different experience. Yep. Same game, different experience. And... That, I think, is the key. I think the key to being able to keep your attention as someone with ADHD is variance, but knowing what to expect on a base level. Like you, you know what you're getting into, but the experience is going to be different every time. And I think that helps because games where I can create a character, Skyrim, uh, Elden Ring, these games, I could make characters every day forever. And that be the game for me. And the end, like if they just sold me a version that was just like, make the character, they exist in this world, make another one. Okay. I'll do that. And that to me is a part that I could always do. And that's always been something that I've just been drawn to in games is character creation. Agreed. Once I love gets, character creation. Yeah. Once it gets into the game, though, I all of a sudden I'm gone. Like I, I get bored. Well, and sometimes your the whole idea of your character is gone when the game starts too. We yeah. can talk more about that later. What if they just yeah. made an entire game of nothing but just see who can create the most detailed, awesome character? Imagine how much <laughs> computing power they could put into just that one section now mm-hmm. that they don't have to worry about the rest of it. Maybe the rest of it can be just like that character you've created has got like this that little area that it can walk around so you can go get pictures and maybe you can just you know do some dlc for it where all right now your character can be in the bahamas <laughs> well i mean the game that's held my attention the longest would have to be arc mm-hmm. um basically i have a computer built just for that because wildcards optimization is not on point however what i enjoy about the game is it can i can do whatever i want in it mm-hmm. You know, once you get to a certain 
point in your levels because it's survival crafting. So you have to gather resources and get everything you need for your character to survive. And then you can go out and tame wild dinosaurs. And so there's this element of base building, which that's the part that I love the most is just getting out there and building this crazy monolithic structure that looks really cool from the outside, but it's completely empty on the inside. (laughs) And then you get the whole, you can breed these dinos and you can breed for mutations. So you're trying to achieve certain stats. Like I want this one to have the best of jumps because there's like a kangaroo one. So I want them to have the best of jumps. So you're breeding for that. And with each time that there's a stat increase on a specific stat, it also manifests a different color in said creature. So variants while doing the same thing all the time. Yeah. And you know, Mm -hmm. so you can build up this farm to where you're constantly pumping out these dinos. There's a lot of things you can do. I've got way too much time in it. <laughs> I have this thing where I never complete games, yep. really. There's Either. games yep. that really, I really, really love, I really enjoy. And then once I get to the end of it, mm-hmm. I know there's probably not all that much more to do. And I've already seen all the gameplay mechanics. I've already been immersed in the gameplay mechanics. And I just think that video games lack an ability to tell a story in a way that interests me Mm -hmm. for the most part. So if the mechanics aren't just like amazing or if there isn't some sort of creative aspect to it, like character creation or map creation, then it's not going to hold my attention very long regardless. Well, it's like with reading a book, like you need to want to know what happens next. You need to be able to finish a chapter and be excited to see what comes next. And with a lot of games that fades away and it just becomes about, killing things or something right and i think that a lot of games need to try more to include mechanics that reflect the themes of the story like Mm. you know what i mean like i I don't know maybe i can talk about that more in my topic i I keep foreshadowing (laughs) yeah you're doing a really good job of it. i know i'm trying I, i think one of the few games i've ever actually completed was mass effect and i beat all three of those games i know there was andromeda but i don't count that one as far as like the main you know game i beat those games because there were also books in between them and the story itself was enough to keep me going like i I wanted to know where this next mission led me and my crew to the part of you know either saving you know existence or helping obliterate it Mm -hmm. and, and things like that to where that game had a good enough story to where i i couldn't put it down and i and i hyper fixated on it until i completed it and they're just there's been so many games where I've enjoyed that I've I've given up on because before if I take two days off of it, I look at the controller and I just think, okay, this is what I'm gonna do if I sit down and I play this game. I'm done with it already in my head yeah. and moving on. Find something different. I don't even feel like loading it up. Exactly. Yeah. It it's, feels laborious yeah, almost. Yeah. And 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 jumping in on your Mass Effect, Dragon Age was really good mm. for me. And oh, it's like the I same finished developer. Inquisition. Yeah. Yeah. Inquisition was the, a really, really cool story. Mm-hmm. Like had had good storytelling, I thought. It did. And all all of it, like every mission, the map table where you make you where you decide what missions to take and which ones not to. I don't know. I just really thought that they did a good job of utilizing all the mechanics mm-hmm. to help tell the story. RPGs are really good in the fact that you're constantly changing the attributes, you're improving attributes of your character, you're getting new clothing and armor and weapons and stuff. And that part of those games holds my attention probably the most of finding new stuff of treasure hunting, basically, you know, going through games and, and finding loot boxes of new things but it's the surrounding stuff besides that, that that takes my attention away. And I think that's where these roguelike games are succeeding in the fact that I get to do this treasure hunting, but the loop starts over again. Like it, it all it all comes back to the beginning and I get to do it again. And I'm starting off with nothing or just a little bit better than what I had the last time and a little bit better than what I had the last time. And the loot's constantly changing as you're going through. And I think that has become this perfect kind of example of a game with someone that has a hard time keeping their mind focused on this singular thing. I think they found a way to hold me. I've seen him abandon so many games. It's so hilarious. Many. It's well, plus a lot of them, I can see why. I mean, like he tried to play this one Digimon game that 
you know, it was another freebie that was out. And no, it wasn't free. The Cyber Sleuth game. You paid for that? Yeah, because everybody says how awesome of a game it is. Like, you, it's like, you played it's it highly for, looked upon in the Digimon world. You played it for 25 minutes and never touched it again. I know, because it's a thing that I know I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to go find Pokemon, and they're going to fight each other. But they're not Pokemon, because they're in the computer. Yeah. Digital monsters instead of pocket monsters. Exactly. But it was it was supposed to be great, and I thought that it would hold my attention because with Pokemon, that's something that you get to go around and hunt, you know, creatures. I mean, with Ark, you get to make the creatures and hunt the creatures and, and mm-hmm. all that. So that idea of rounding up these cool things that can do stuff, I was like, yeah. And Digimon was something I loved as a kid. It was it was a very convoluted story, though. It, it, was, it was just kind of, I don't understand what people love about it. But then again, I probably didn't get through the entire tutorial to where I can actually enjoy the game the way everyone else does. Might not have. Might not have. But if you have ADHD or even think that you might have it, try out some games that have a lot of variants in them, like roguelikes, <laughs> instead of just spending $60 as soon as a AAA title comes out because it's got you hyped for it. And then as soon as you get it, you play it for a few hours and you never touch it again because it's just too much and, and you need something to, to just keep starting over for you. Yeah. Well, kind of piggybacking off of your topic today and last episode, really, because last episode you talked about IPs in Uh different formats. Right. And you know, Star Wars is just one of those that, is made for the movies, but yet so lends itself well to video games mm-hmm. and comics. I mean, it's just it's just one of those that I feel like naturally goes well in many. And I think Lord of the Rings is the same. So in, in order to continue this conversation, I want to just focus it on just the Lord of the Rings games. And I kind of mm-hmm. want to go back through the history of Lord of the Rings video games. And... I don't know. I mean, this whole, obviously, the Rings of Power is, like, hot right now, and it's garbage. <clears throat> but us Lord of the Rings fans, we're, we're used to poopy adapt- adaptations of the Lord of the Rings. And it's almost like the market is just so ripe for a really good, like, action RPG to just, I mean, take everyone's money. And, like, who's going to do it? I mean, they, they did just sell the game rights again to this new company. And they're going to be producing games. So hopefully hopefully we get it at some point. But <clears throat> Lord of the Rings actually has a pretty rich history of video games. Uh, dating back to the late 70s and 80s, there were like these text-based uh, adventure games, you know. Yeah. And then from these spawn in the early 80s, a development of a game called Lord of the Rings Journey to Rivendell. And it's, you know, the most basic graphics you could possibly imagine. I mean, it's just like awful pixelated trees with some sort of black blob <laughs> running around. It just looks so bad you know, compared the, to modern stuff. Who was the black blob? Aragorn, I think. Yay! Or maybe Frodo. No, I think he might have been Frodo. Anyway, it's it was for the Atari 2600. It was developed for the Atari 2600 in the, in the 80s, but not released until 2001. What? what? Wow. So around the time that the movies were getting made, this website online that was dedicated to like preserving Atari games and like stuff like that just kind of leaked it to the public and that's how it, it saw the light of day. So yeah, a game made for the Atari 26 didn't get released till 2001. Jeez. I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also even recently, I feel like if games like that were to come out now, a lot of indie companies don't use like great graphics for a lot of their games. As long as the game plays well, the graphics don't really matter. Like with the loop here I was talking about, it's very old school graphic style game. It is not 3D in any way. Mm-hmm. So something like that, like even though that time period, it seems, in, it seems insane, like no one would like it. It could have still been entertaining. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure people, people would have play. played it back then. Yeah. I mean, especially those text-based adventures I mentioned. I mean, like yeah. by today's standards would be look really cheesy and weird, but people played them back then, especially hardcore nerds for Lord of the Rings. Um, So that was the first attempt to like make a console game. I'm kind of trying to focus on console games in here. I will mention a few PC ones. Basically, they planned Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers for PC, but then never really got it off, I don't think. And then that base, we don't see a Lord of the Rings game for another like 10 years until the 90s. Until 1994, Lord of the Rings Volume 1 for Super Nintendo. 
and apparently it was just complete hot stinking fecal garbage. <laughs> uh, the dungeon maps are like these huge labyrinth layouts, and uh, you basically have attack up, attack down, attack right, attack left, a busted block that doesn't really even work, and everything's like these <laughs> pointless fetch quests. So it's like in the uh, beginning, it's like you meet Sam, and he's like has this door locked. You can't leave the Shire until you find his dad's glasses. And so you search the this awful wow. labyrinth dungeon, and you cannot find. And it's literally in the middle. There's like so many dead ends, and then right in the center is his glasses. Right, uh, so it's these awful, pointless fetch quests like this. Um, and then apparently, when you get to the end of the game, the you you find Gandalf at the Mines of Moria, and he makes you. He says, "Oh well, you we we have to go find two translation books and all five stones." That were littered out through the entire game. <laughs> so now you have to go back to the beginning of the game and Do retrace all your steps to find the, th- the items for the very l- to get into the Mines of Moria. And this was for what? Well, this was for Super, Super Nintendo. Nintendo. How can they have a story that big on Super Nintendo? I mean, I don't know how big it was. I didn't play it. Now, theoretically, would it be possible to pick up these items as you play through the first time? So theoretically, you and you magically have them all. Theoretically, but the very first dungeon is like massive, so big, and you, you're bound to get lost a, a lot. So it's like just to find those glasses, you're it's going to take a long time of just pointless. I probably would have liked DNC just when he said <laughs> we need to find my dad's glasses before you can leave. Right? But I just like, want to leave though. It's like, how is that my responsibility <laughs> that your father can't see? Right. And so it's just it's just one of those things. It was just so god awful that no one wanted to make a Lord of the Rings game anymore. And I think back then, like things like Nintendo Power, the magazine that had all the Nintendo gaming stuff in it, there were numbers that you could call to talk to real people that would be guides for you in games if you got stuck in a game you could call this number and a human being on the other end would help you through it what's right. up little bro right. you, can't just, help? you can't just get on the internet and search for a guide like you can nowadays no, no so back then it's it's literally some of the most painstaking you're talking yeah. needle in a haystack awful you had to call a guy and that was just the you first know. dungeon once you got to once you found all that stuff for the mines of moria and you actually get in, it's like nine of those intro dungeons copied and pasted together. Uh, yeah, ugh. so it was just one of those things. It's like, what? this is not worth it. Awful. Yeah, and so we don't really get anything else until the movie era. And so when the movie era comes out, this company called Vivendi, I believe, has the rights to the books to make video games based on the books. The EA games had the right for all the movie stuff. And so we get this weird little thing where EA decides to forego a whole year and just try to tie in a movie with The Two Towers when it's released. Vivendi's like, oh, crap, this stuff's popular again. Let's throw something out there to try Mm -hmm. to make some money. And then like 10 months later, they have a game called The Fellowship of the Ring. And it releases like a week before The Two Towers movie and video game releases. Huh. So I remember being confused at this as a kid, and I looked it up back then. Of course, I didn't have the scope that I have now of it all, but I just knew that I didn't want that first one. Right. I knew I didn't want Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. Because when you op- when you play the two towers, you literally start with in the prologue of the movie, and it's like showing you actual footage from the movie. Galadriel like narrating, so epic, you know that epic intro, and then the scenes from the Last Alliance of Elves and Men, that big battle at the beginning, goes to graph. To graphics, and then you are playing in that battle, and so it just awesome. really does a good job at making you feel like you're in the movies. And I just remember that game and and its sequel were just awesome. That's like my childhood. But the Fellowship of the Ring and this other company kind of going head head to head with each other. It's like kind of like this arms race to see who can cash in on the on the movie stuff first. But obviously, the stuff that uh, like EA had access to all the art development images and things. So they, they went out in this scenario because they just tied themselves so well to the movies. Yeah. The likenesses of the characters are that of the movie, which you you're watching. So that's where the hotness is. It's not because when you make a game based on just a book, everyone's idea of what that character looks like 
is different. Like you have no other reference. Mm -hmm. But with the game or with the movie, like the movie based games, like you see those characters and you know what they're supposed to look like already right. before you play it. So when this well, and, fellowship game and came the out, two towers from EA had the benefit of getting actual some of the actual actors to voice the characters. Oh wow, that's even yeah. right. So it sold way better than Fellowship of the Ring, but Fellowship of the Ring, like their bragging points was they had thousands of lines from the books actually recorded. And but it's like this extremely linear game. There's like stealth sections uh that people literally never got past because they were so difficult that some people just completely DNC'd it at that point. Like when they're trying to escape the Shire, nobody like there's several people that never saw anything past that point of the game. Uh so there's there is like different characters and different play styles in the Fellowship of the Ring. People kind of agree that the first chapters of the books are kind of adapted well in that game, but then it just kind of devolves into a bunch of lore breaking adaptation <laughs> stuff. Uh, but it sold well and they kind of planned a sequel named The Treason of Isengard, which was Tolkien's original title for the Two Towers. So oh. they couldn't put out a game called The Two Towers, so they were gonna like, let's do the Treason of Isengard. But of course, I think probably most people who like Lord of the Rings probably played the Two Towers video game, so I won't do it too much of it, but there was like a lot of character progression, different play styles. You got Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli you can play as. Uh, but the story for a movie tie-in was kind of suffered because it just it would literally play footage from the movie and then turn it into graphics and then let you go. But yet still, there's like no Frodo and Sam. Like they just kind of completely ignored this really big part of, of the story that the game was based on. I don't mm. know. It was kind of weird. But it was a really cool, like hectic hack and slash kind of game that was really fun for me as a kid that's probably why because they're like okay you can either be the warrior the archer or the tank tank so it's yeah like basically it's ranger tank and, and and then if frodo's an option it's like well <laughs> what, what is am he? i just gonna yeah this is he's the rogue still, he's he, the rogue yeah, he's but the rogue. he can't like actually do anything like yeah. so he, he can not only go invisible he can go better than invisible <laughs> yeah. um so then the Two Towers spawns its sequel, The Return of the King, where you have 10 playable characters, all of them with their unique styles and moves, three whole campaigns to complete. You've got your Gandalf camp campaign, you've got your Frodo and Sam campaign, and then you've got your Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn campaign. Loved this game when I was young. I mean, obviously it uh, has its flaws, but uh, there was like co-op. You, for the first time, you could actually co-op with your friends. But then the story... But being so tied to the movies kind of let you, it makes you feel like there were some opportunities missed to like really implement some of the cool story elements into it. Well, yeah, because it's almost like you can only pull off of things that are already available. You right. can't you can't speculate farther onto it to be like, oh, here's this thing. Well, it's not the same thing as the movie. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, and then, and licensing issues like they only have licenses to the movies, so they're they're not allowed to explore. The book. The books. Oh, right. yeah. So that they can only fill gaps in the movie with things that are, that the movie itself, it, it couldn't go against, like the movie's <laughs> story itself. So they saw that and they're like, we're not going to tackle that at all because right. that's a whole can of nerd worms that mm -hmm. we do not want to bust open. Yeah. But anyway, like Return of the King, as, as a young person, oh, it held my attention for sure. I, play, I played it. I beat it several, several times. Very, very cool game. Treason of Isengard eventually never gets made, so... That one never even comes out, so EA obviously wins that. Then they did the, the a game called The Hobbit, which is like a 3D action platformer, but apparently the gameplay is not all that great, and it doesn't take all that many liberties with the lore, but it does try to kind of, like I said earlier, turn some of the themes uh, from the text of the books into like actual gameplay, like with the stealth and trying to sneak around to get away from the the Nazgul and, the, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, it was kind of up against a lot of 3D action platformers of the time, like Mario and all this other stuff that it just completely got overlooked. Yeah. And didn't set, didn't just didn't stand out enough from its fellow the competition. Genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we get Lord of the Rings The Third Age. And this was kind of where they're at the end of their licensing or the you know, they've already done all these stories off the books and stuff. But then this is their take on a JRPG, a Japanese role-playing game, and they basically just lifted Final Fantasy X's combat, <laughs> r complete ripoff, and elements of like the party design and stuff like that, and they tied it completely to the movie, 
because of the licensure. And so it kind of fails to stand on its on its own, I think. It had mixed reviews but sold okay. It's like you take you take the point of view of three other characters who are literally just like following step by step what the fellowship does. The main characters apparently got like layers upon layers of these magical curses upon him, but yet they don't the, the story sucks is basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what was the name of this game again? The Third Age. Third Age, okay. Yeah, yeah. I missed that somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one called War of the Ring that was an RTS, kind of a Warcraft 3 clone. It got kind of average reviews, and it couldn't hold up to the next game on my list, Battle for Middle-Earth. I've talked about Battle for Middle-Earth before. For some reason, I can't say that either. Battle for Middle-Earth. Middle it gets across. <laughs> <laughs> but Battle for Middle-Earth was... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> was a really good RTS that spawned a sequel, Battle for Earth 2. <laughs> and it's probably one of the best Lord of the Rings games ever. Uh, it's Especially with the mods and the expansions that they add, the Rise of the Witch King. It's just so epic. And it's one of my favorite games ever. Um, it still even stands out today as a great RTS game. Hmm. And it sold great, but EA eventually loses the license. Because by this point, they had the license for the books as well. So they end up getting those. That's what I was going to ask. If this yes. was pulling from both sources, yes. like with it being so successful, it sounds like they had more to pull from. Yes. And okay. they, yeah. And so they were able to explore some, some of the other aspects cool. of the lore and pretty, pretty faithfully, I, would, I should say. Then we get Lord of the Rings Conquest, which is a very Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront style attempt, but in, set in Middle Earth. And it was designed for multiplayer in mind. But it was kind of stale because it just, again, fueled off only the movies. And this, by this point, the movies are already 10 years old. And so the hype and the, oh, I just want to feel like I'm still in the movie theater while I'm playing this video game, approach, you know, feel is just kind of gone. Plus, they just kind of butcher the lore. It's bad story. Again, just not a good adaptation of Tolkien's themes and works into a video game form. And then there was this game called The White Council which also never got made. But this one to me stands out the most because it seems like it was really, really ambitious. They were trying to make this open-world RPG inspired by Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Mm. EA still has the rights, and now they have the book rights, and so they kind of aimed to do exactly what I would want and what fans wanted by expanding the lore, but it never got made. So then they they basically just kind of pulled the plug, and they were like, hey, this is the last bit of our license – so let's just like make really, really cheap games mm. to like and just use the license to try to sell as many as we can that and just sucks. lowest common denominator, just cash grab crap, right? That sucks. Yeah. And so then nobody wants to make a Lord of the Rings game again until Aragorn's Quest. <gasps> it's this kid friendly adventure snooze fest <laughs> for we. It's like, okay, look, I could play Aragorn's Quests or I could play like Zelda. You know, it's like mm. obviously Zelda's going to I mean, be a better who game. I playing Wii anyway. Yeah, not me. It was awful. I did. I don't yeah. want to exercise while I video game. I'm a fat man. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently this game was just so easy and all the puzzles were just so mind-numbingly obvious. It just got terrible reviews and sales. Lord of the Teething Rings, yeah. am I right? For babies. <laughs> 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 For cheering. War in the North was a very kind of much Dragon Age type game that came out it was it was not based on the movies it was kind of trying to expand the lore again it promised accurate lore <laughs> wrong that seems to be a uh, trend when mm-hmm. it comes to Tolkien we really really gonna be careful with the lore no you're not yeah no no you're not the rings of power are handling it pretty well I mean yeah. <laughs> the, honestly <laughs> sure <laughs> Um, so War in the North sold like garbage, got terrible, terrible reviews, but it came out right on the heels of Skyrim. Oops. And obviously Skyrim shit all over it. Yeah. Um, and so it just continuously got compared with Skyrim with all these reviewers and it just got squashed by that that even though it was a decent it was a decent game it was uh you've got these named characters but there's not like characterized for you because you're supposed to like build them up and there's like this class system and there's basically for three different archetypes there's three different builds you can make with each of the archetypes 
So it wasn't bad. It kind of does feel like Middle Earth. You do run into some of the Fellowship uh, characters and talk with them and kind of get some good little character development stuff that you wouldn't have seen in the movie, but ultimately doesn't really not really good. Then we get a couple more here. Guardians of Middle Earth, which is like this champion battle arena. I think they call them a MOBA or something. Yeah. Battle arena game okay. or whatever. Yeah. But apparently it was just an inferior imitation of all the other genre heavy hitters. In League that. of Legends. Right, right. Yeah. Plus, again, we have no narrative to speak of. It's just, hey, let's call it Lord of the Rings so we can sell it, even though it didn't sell very great. So they're, they're taking my Tolkien. They're making it bad so it won't sell. Mm-hmm. But then we get Shadow of Mordor, and it comes in the wake of like Arkham games and Assassin's Creed and stuff, and they kind of blend those two styles together. It's this darker take on Middle Earth, which I'm so for, but they did kind of ruin the lore again. Again, they just can't keep the lore right. Um, but it's like in Mordor, it, it's this open world where you can like dominate orcs and kind of build your army. It's a really cool game. It got game of the year, and so it was in the right direction. Then Shadow of War completely. I had this one. I thought it was. I mean, they're they're both really cool games, but I'm trying to assess the, I the mean, lore. I accuracy. understand, yeah. but I've been sitting here this whole time waiting on this one. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going <laughs> to shut up and let you talk now. Well, I mean, we can talk about it. Uh, I'll just mention two more, and then I can be done with my list. Uh, the Lego games. There was a bunch. You know, those are always really good games. Yeah, I just never played them. Right. It's just like I I want something more along the lines of Shadow of War. Mm-hmm. More, at least more lore accurate. At least somewhat lore accurate would be nice. Yeah. Then there's Lord of the Rings Online, which isn't technically console. I don't think. I think it's PC. That's just there's there's like literally ten paid expansions by this point for that. Not my style of game. I'm sure it's cool, but I just I couldn't accurately like talk about it. I'm much more of a hack and slashy oh, yeah. with some RPG elements, and so maybe that's it. But but. You know, maybe one day you'll get your Lord of the Rings game. I think I think it's time. I think it's time we get one much in the vein of, you know, Skyrim-esque mm-hmm. stuff. It doesn't have to be a ripoff of that. But I think if, if somebody were to make one, it would be really, really huge hit, and it would make them lots and lots of money. So hopefully these new people that bought it will do just that. Yeah. The I fans play, are waiting. I want to play as a Balrog. You could in Lord of the Rings Conquest. Oh, oh wow! Cool. You can literally in Lord of the Rings Conquest, you could go through the Shire like as orcs and the Balrogs and just like slaying hobbits. I, I think we're ending the hobbits. I think where nice. most IPs are getting into the gaming world now is by leasing out the IP to other games that already exist that have an online presence, to where you can get these new characters to be thrown into a game, like something like League of Legends. You see them like all of a sudden now they've got a Lord of the Rings characters that you can buy and have in the game, as opposed to them making games completely based on that IP itself. I see that like I mean look at uh Fortnite. Fortnite has every I mean you can be Goku now and you can fight against John Wick if you want to. And I think that's kind of closer to where like uh, these IPs in other media are starting to introduce themselves. They're like, well, we don't want to make it a whole game and spend all that money. Yeah, I think that's garbage. We can sell we can sell some license over to this game that already exists. It's already popular. And then we get a cut of, you know, how many people are wanting our characters. And that's easier for them. They make quicker money on it. And they don't have to be dedicated to anything. And, yeah, they just put their characters in an already established game. Yeah. And Conquest is a mobile game now. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't talk about mobile games. Yeah, I'm completely uninterested. So yes. <laughs> I'm just saying it moved from console into mm. now you can hold it in the palm of your hand. And it's still not as popular as Raid Shadow Legends. Oh, great. <laughs> I have been going back through things that I loved as a child, mm-hmm. and I have found many of the things do not hold up to the scrutiny of my adult sensibilities, <laughs> be it a horrible story, terrible writing style, or just generally being a nuisance. <laughs> I've been working through the Stephen King I don't know the proper term, but it's whole catalog of books. Mm-hmm. And I've been going through them in chronological order. I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> I really don't. Um, some of his earlier works are very good. Many of his early works are very bad. Oh, no. And I don't know if that's just my tastes have changed or if I've become more discerning in what is good and what is bad. Both. 
I mean, probably both. Probably. And I, I know when he started off, he started off writing in the 70s. So it was a completely different world. People spoke differently. But I feel like some words, the word I'm not allowed to say, is massively overused. Mm-hmm. I get he's trying to show a time frame and paint this person as a terrible person. But why? Why do we have to go that direction? And like I said, I don't know if it's my sensibilities changing or him just being a very poor writer as a young man. Because you move on to his later works and they've gotten a lot better. There's a lot more descriptive notes to just what all is happening. It's not just, well, this happened, then this, then this, then this, then this, which you get a lot of that in The Shining, for instance. It's, oh, we got there and then this happened and this happened. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where, what happened during this gap? Because it goes jump, 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 jump. And it just doesn't hold up and it's terrible. So it's making me question my love of his works because for the longest time, he was my favorite author. And now I feel like he poopy, <laughs> at least at least in the beginning, because mm-hmm. I know where he ends up because he still wrote my favorite series because I started with those and then I went chronological and just a bad idea. So is there anything you fellas have noticed that you used to love and now you just kind of don't like anymore? Dinosaurs. Using through the lens of time. Mm. Dinosaurs. 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 Okay. Uh, I used to consume dinosaurs in every function and shape available as a young man. Even nugget form? Even nugget form. I had nugget-shaped dinosaurs. I had dinosaurs on my TV with pots and pans saying, not the mama. I had dinosaurs on my movie screen uh, with, he did it. That crazy son of a bitch did it. And uh, with the Jurassic Parks and all that. Then I had video games with dinosaurs uh, whenever I was a small child, too, called Chuck Rock, which was on Super Nintendo. You played as a caveman at the beginning of every... uh, single scene uh which i call them scenes because you literally just play out one scene in a in the super nintendo side scrollers like that but it's <laughs> he, he starts off every scene unga bunga and then you go about your way with your dinosaurs so many dinosaurs i don't care about dinosaurs as a grown man <laughs> and i kind of understand why so many grown-up people used to look at me so badly as a child whenever oh my god the brachiosaurus is my favorite dinosaur i love the brachiosaurus but it's got a longer neck and it's got a fan on top of its head where its nose holds. Shut up, kid! <laughs> I feel like you're making fun of me because Ark is about dinosaurs now. <laughs> I'm just saying. Gee, thanks. I still like dinosaurs into my adulthood. Just, Actually, go, ahead, just I, go ahead and edit out my whole thing about Ark because of him. It's done. I, I think I appreciate dinosaurs more now as an older man. I don't know. I think they were. Uh, I think they were just so ingrained into my childhood that I. I. I, I just had so many different. And I can't but, tell you any time I went to the dollar store and didn't come back with a small thing of like little rubber dinosaurs. And mm-hmm. I also want to throw out that my two favorite dinosaurs are the T Rex <laughs> and the Compy. You can't get any more nasty than the Velociraptor, though. I mean, at least I was gonna make a point of how Hollywood has kind of swayed how we see dinosaurs mm-hmm. uh because you know we figured out a lot more things about them since that first movie yeah right. and they used to be extinct but i can see them on the tv right <laughs> right there <laughs> they're there, they're there. <laughs> i think i think for me it's the just the essence of the action hero i don't really give a shit anymore about action heroes like even stuff like 007 I don't care. I know it's cool gadgets and I I love technology, but he's just the cool secret agent man. Or if we've got the cool army man or the, the even like just the, like with Halo, the space Marine thing. And I'm just like, I don't care. I, I think I've mentioned in the past when I look up, uh, when I take a book and I look at the back, you know, to check and see like, okay, this is an interesting title and cover. I look at the back and it says, <laughs> Top secret and it's already back on the I'm, shelf, exactly and I'm moving mean. on. But as a kid, they were just so cool, and the action was cool, and everything was just you know badass. And now I'm like badassery can get only as far as the nose. Like anything beyond that, I'm like I, I need more. I need to. I need depth. But as a kid, like it's just if it was cool, that meant it was good. Yep. And now I'm like, I don't care how cool it is if it's not 
got something to it, like then I just I don't care anymore. Yeah, I mean, like our views on badass changes. You know, it's like what I think's badass now is like seeing a young guy help an old lady carry in her groceries. <laughs> I mean, that sounds very cliche, but I'm like. You go, kid. That's an awesome thing because so many people are not nice anymore. It's one of the small soapbox. Yeah, go ahead, I th- Marcus. I think it's either it's. I think it's just like on South Park when all the young kids love the new music, but yet all the adults just hear <laughs> like literally. Kids are just listening to farts nowadays. I think that is a real thing. Oh, it absolutely is. And I think just once you are so far removed, everything about you, every cell in your body is different from when you were seven years old. So are you mm-hmm. even really still the same person? Mm-hmm. Everything's been shed. Yeah. Did yeah. we talk about that on the show? I don't know. About maybe, how maybe if, you chain, if you name a ship this, but then you re- replace all the things uh, over time. Oh, okay. What was the name of that whole thing? It's know. got a name. It does have a and name. And one of us should know it. I don't know. I thought we already talked about it on the show, yeah. but maybe I'm remembering something different. But anyway. Right. We've done it 112 times. We can't remember them all. Well, it's just like when you are <laughs> when you you think back to the music you listened to in high school, at least in my case, I'm like, I'm embarrassed. I've done that so many times this episode. I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah, farting please into the microphone. do. Do it. I've um, been doing it in real life, so <laughs> yeah. but yeah, they've been very audible tonight. <laughs> you get older, your tastes change. And then you start to see the flaws in the things that you loved. I mean, because pretty much everything we love is not perfect, and there are many gripes to be had. But oh, yeah. it's but you just you're more willing to overlook these things when they when you actually like them. Just like I could go back and rip up the Lord of the Rings actual the movies that are so great, but like I could go and tell you all the things that is a problem. Mm-hmm. We should do that as a topic one day. Maybe but one then, day. Oh, geez. But yeah. I'm, I'm really hitting the Lord of the Rings hard lately. But that's fine. Yeah, that, it, it's we, hot right we do now. that sometimes. Well, if you <laughs> but, so, if you're talking about music too, like that, you know, you could not have gone back, you know, to, you know, twelve, fourteen years ago and told us at that age, like, hey, Dashboard Confessional is not awesome, right? <laughs> There's sad mopey music, but and you like them because you're a sad mopey man. <laughs> like, no, it's the best thing ever. It really gets me. But it's an interesting concept, though, to look back because we're as nerds, we're very nostalgic. Like a lot of the stuff we love is from when we were kids and we just can't let go of it. And yet we can still be hypercritical of those things, but still love them. Like Power Rangers is one of the worst television shows to ever exist of all time. If you sat through one episode, you're like, this is hot, stinking fecal garbage. I still love Power Rangers. I could, any action figure that I see of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, it's just, it's so hard for me not to just say, take all my money. (laughs) But the actual content itself is terrible, but that's whenever there's something that you can hold on to from that thing that you can hyper criticize, but there's still something about it you can still have now that doesn't change with it. Well, and I think it's special yeah. to like not only love something for its how great it is, but also for its flaws. I mean, that mm-hmm. is very cliche too, but yeah, yeah. you know. Well, I'm experiencing, I'm in a weird season of my life. I'm in a season of a lot of personal changes. And I can understand the whole nostalgia aspect because right over there is a copy of The Warriors of Virtue. <laughs> that movie is one of the most it's horrendous so movies bad. of all time. I love it. Yet I can still watch it and love everything about it yeah. down to its smallest terrible detail. Oh, yeah. But I'm finding things that I used to love now that I just really don't like at all, even a little bit. And it's it's just an odd place. Mm-hmm. Would you think? Would you say that it's maybe the themes and the content matter you don't identify with anymore, or in fact you feel differently about it, or do you just feel like you? Well, well, we'll take the example of The Shining. How can I identify with a child that's you know psychic and living in a hotel and his dad gets murdery? I mean, I can't identify with that. I'm talking. Well, not I mean, that's a character though. I mean, and, and yes, you can. I think. I don't know. Just because, I mean, how do I, how do we identify with a superhero? We can't fly. You know what I mean? You can't, maybe. <laughs> but I think that uh, as far as the dinosaur thing goes, though, I'm not trying to poop on your dreams of loving your, your arc game. <laughs> just to, just to let you know, I, I really think that. Yeah, Sasquatch is in it, too. Well, the Sasquatch. Really? Yeah. No wonder you love I've it. I've been breeding Sasquatches for mutations, and I got a really cool <laughs> green one. Sasquatches and dinosaurs breeding together? Yeah. This well, no, no, no. You can only breed one type with one type. Oh, never mind them. You can't enter species erotica, these things. <laughs> well, you almost had me. You almost had me. There's well, even frogs. 
Uh, the Beasel Bufos? We're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're so off topic that I think we can call it a night. Thank you all for listening to Nerd of the Grapevine, wherever you're at, either on Spotify, iTunes, Good Pods, CastBox, whatever it is. Click five stars. Tell everybody why you love us or why you hate us. As long as you click five stars, that's all that matters. And then go click in the link of the of, of Red Bubble. Got it. And Teespring. And go get something with our stuff on it and wear it around. Uh, it would be cool for me to see somebody I don't know wearing a logo that I made. I think that would be neat. And if there was an actual video game that was based around you just having a lot of interspecies erotica between different animals, what would be your animals that you'd have hook up to make it? There is animal? one of Sonic those. The I played it. It's called Breeders of the Nephilim. Well, fantastic. So, don't look that up. Don't look it up. It's free. <laughs> don't look it up. Don't it's look on it up. Steam it's free. free. <laughs> so, no. Yes. So what? <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to talk to us about that, go ahead and find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Nerd Grapevine. Or if you wanted to donate a little bit to the cause, you can get on Patreon, look up Nerd Grapevine, and you will be able to donate a little bit and get a shiny holographic sticker with the Nerd to the Grapevine logo. You'll be able to get uh, future content that we have not released to everybody just yet. And, you know, that'll cause you to maybe spiral downwards into a grape hole and then cause yourself to have a little bit of discord. Ooh. Oh, wait, it's me. It's my turn. <laughs> so there's a link in our description. If you click upon it, it will take you to a social media platform known as Discord. We're on there. You can talk to us. We can stream games that we're playing or not playing for you. It's fun. <laughs> we can stream movies. We can have conversations. We can share amusing anecdotes in picture form and i'm doing a thing with my hands that you can't see that has words on it and it makes us chuckle and or smile but never actually lol (laughs) so find us on discord like i said there's a link in the description you can talk to us live uncut uncensored irrevocably circumcised and you can tell us all about how all of our listeners can tell that i never know what to do with this next part But you always do so well. Which is where I ask Austin what he does when life gives him grapes. When life gives me grapes, I lick my finger, and then I rub it on the outside of the grape until I start hearing a squeaky sound. Oh, that came in the shivers. (laughs) And once I achieve the squeaky sound with the grape, then I'll try to see what all else I can lick and make the grape squeak with. What you Try me. Try licking me and make me squeak. It's try. Well, he squeaked instead of the grape, so that's a lost cause. Marcus, let me try you. Marcus, come here. I want to lick you. I call next.